So guys, uh, Mother's Day really means a countdown to Father's Day. I don't know if y'all realize that. Uh, but hey, when I think about Father's Day, I think, I think about barbecue grills and I think about all of those different things. But here's the one thing you need to know about me. If I ever go shopping uh, for something at Home Depot, the one requirement I have is that it has to be pre-assembled. If, I, if it's got to be bought in a box, I'm out. And so I want the shop vac that's put together. Uh, I want the grill that's put together. I want everything put together. And the reason why is because in the past, it hasn't really worked out well for me putting things together. Now, usually what happens is it's kind of like putting a bicycle together, you're putting together, and then you realize, like, you get to the very end, you're almost complete, 90% there, and you realize, oh, like, man, the handlebar's on backwards, like, I forgot, I forgot the place where this, you know, the seat's going to go, and, and you put something on wrong. It's same with a grill, like, you put it together, and you're, you get halfway there, and you're like, that, that doesn't go there. And then all of a sudden you got to go. And then of course I've got my wife, which is like just this ball of knowledge. And she looks at me and she's like, hey, why don't you read the instructions? And I'm like, what, what's the fun in that? Like, what, what do I need instructions for? And I think for a lot of us, that's how we think about parenting. And so today as we dive into this week five of this series called Faithful, we're going to talk about faithful parenting. Hey, what's it look like? And maybe you're here like, hey, my kiddos are gone. Uh, they're out of the house and we're empty nesters. Listen, we're going to call this faithful grandparenting. Uh, but the reality is, is that if you still have children or, or, or grandchildren, it doesn't really matter how old they are. There is still a very large portion we're going to talk about today that is useful and applicable for all of us here. The reality is, is we have a, a commission from the Lord, just as Israel had one as well. One of the things that we've been doing as a church family is walking through the book of Exodus. And as we've been reading through the Exodus uh, on our, in our own quiet times with the Lord, uh, one of the incredible things is, is that you see that there is a precedent for um, what the Lord has. And, and that precedent was not only for the people, but it was also to be told to the coming generations. In Psalm 78, you get this really long chapter about what the Lord asked uh, of Moses and what he asked of the people and the leaders and the elders of Israel and how they would impart this truth. And then after the first eight verses, you get the picture of where it all went wrong and where it all broke down and why all of Israel end up having challenges. But it wasn't because of the Lord's faithfulness or the lack thereof. It was because of people's lack of faithfulness. So consider these words in Psalm 78, verses one through eight. It says, "'Give ear, O my people, to my teaching.'" Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. In essence, the things the Lord will proclaim are a mystery, but he will reveal them if you'll simply incline your ears. Verse 3 says, Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. But we will tell to the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord and of his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and the appointed law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. That next generation might know them. The children yet unborn will arise and they'll tell their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but they would keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. 
Listen, I pray that it's never said about my generation that you were a generation that was not faithful to God. But as you hear these words in Psalm 78, what you need to realize, the psalmist is writing, he's saying, Israel, incline your ears where the Lord is set. And then he tells of five generations. He says, there were your fathers who gave it to them, and then you give it to their children, and they give it to their children who are not born, and they give it to their children who are not born. Five generations of imparting knowledge and truth. That the reality is, is that your job is not done until you have done an adequate enough job that the generations who do not live yet, that we didn't celebrate yet, know that the word of the Lord is true and that our God is faithful. See, the reality is, I think oftentimes we think about parenting in several wrong ways. One of the wrong ways that we think about parenting is, is that there's a goal and the goal is to get them out of our house. And like when they're 18 and we kind of see them walk across the stage, as long as by the time they're 18, they walk across the stage, they're fairly moral people. They got through school without living in um, some sort of school detention. Then we would say, hey, we did an adequate job. And as long as we kept them in the church house, and as long as we made sure they weren't doing things with a girlfriend that we could see, then we felt like we were good. But the reality is, is there's more to it. There is far more to it. And in order for us to understand faithful parenting, we have to understand first that there is a handful of approaches to parenting and there's a couple of them that will not work. I would say the very first uh, approach to parenting that we see all the time is what you would in some ways call the hands-off approach. Hands-off parenting is in some ways like taking a little sailboat, sticking it in the water and just letting it go. And you just hope for the best. Like you hope the wind blows it in the right direction. But hands-off parenting is something that a lot of parents do. They have a child and they just kind of let the child tend to themselves. And they just go, hey, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I don't want to pretend that I know what I'm doing because my parents didn't seem to know what they're doing. I worked out okay. So I'm gonna let my kids work out okay. And this hands-off approach is in some ways what we would call laissez-faire. It's just the idea that things are gonna happen. It doesn't require a whole lot of effort on our part. We leave them alone and then we hope for the best. Friends, that doesn't work well. But I would say the one that we're probably most commonly trapped in is what we would call a trial and error parenting. A trial and error parenting is like going, hey, I really don't have a clue how to put a barbecue pit together or a bike together. Um, and I don't know how to do parenting, but we'll, we'll just try it along the way. And at some point, if it's wrong, then we'll go back to the manual and we'll try to f- fix it. Matter of fact, we don't even have a manual, so we'll just write the manual as we go. And the reality is this trial and error parenting is oftentimes based off of what we see as results in front of our eyes. Reality too is it doesn't just stop there. We oftentimes compare our results to our friends. And so we look at other parents and friends and we look and we go, man, their child's crazy, out of control, right? And we go, hey, we're not that bad. Or our child's way out of control and we're like, oh man, we've got a long way to go. We're failures of parents. And the reality is, is that every single child has a heart from God that's different. They're all wired differently. And if we're thinking about a hands-on approach, then what we're trying to do in some ways is to conform a bunch of children to the pattern we want rather than the desire that God has for them. And so that's why I would suggest a faithful parenting approach. A faithful parent approach is that you would strategically develop children and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. As the psalmist said in Psalm 78, I think we too should learn from that, that we ought to be intentional about how we aim our children. A few moments ago uh, on both of our campuses, we read Psalm 127, that children are a heritage of the Lord, that they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. 
And listen, I don't know about you, but uh, if you're a warrior, then it means you're well-trained and you're equipped to shoot arrows strong, straight, and true. And that's what in faithful parenting is. It's Faithful parent, parenting is the idea that we would please the Lord. It is very far and by far the least common approach, but it is the one that takes the most effort and the most time and the most strategy. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote many years ago a book called Outliers. And in the book Outliers, one of the things that he said is there's a 10,000 hour principle. In essence, if you guys are nominal golfers right now and you aim or aspire to be um, like Tiger Woods, then it means that you need 10,000 hours of training before you'll be, be a professional. Um, if, you're a, if you're a woodworker and you kind of struggle and you're, you're having a hard time honing your craft, it's because you're probably not spending enough time in the workshop. So Malcolm Gladwell's approach is that before you're really going to be successful at whatever venture it is, you need 10,000 hours applied. And listen, I don't know about you, but if you begin to do the math on that in 18 years, that means that parents have to be intentional with their children and shaping their character three hours every single day. The challenge is, is that most of our uh, families in this, this particular body of believers don't have three hours of intentional time with your children a week, much less a day. And, and that's something that we have to really think through, that if you're going to have a faithful parenting approach, it oftentimes revolves around time. And next week, I can't wait uh, to hear uh, from one of our elders, Charlie and Matt, he's going to talk about how to be faithful with our time, how we would steward it really well. Uh, but today we're going to talk about parenting. And so there's really three things that I think you and I should be faithful to the Lord. And one is just to be very deliberate. Faithful parents are deliberate, right? Uh, we, we don't take the hands-off parenting approach. We don't take the trial and error approach. We, we, we aim to have the 10,000-hour rule that we would say, hey, we're going to shoot our children straight, strong, and true. And we're going to faithfully rear them and raise them. We're going to partner with other families. We're going to live in community. We're going to be intentional with what we do. That's what faithful parents do. And that's how faithful parents live. Statistics would tell us that uh, time oftentimes is the rule um, that you need. That it's time in the backyard throwing the baseball. It's time in the backyard, um, loving your kids and as they chase their own dreams and hopes, oftentimes, if I'm honest, are things that I personally don't want to do. Um, but we do them anyway because we love our kids and we want to encourage them and their creativity. But George Barna would say this, that he actually would say that if you want to be really successful and, and all the children they've watched and studied that have become spiritual champions, you actually don't need the 10,000 hour rule. You need a 5,000 hour rule. Basically an hour and a half a day of intentional time from parents will help shape spiritual champions. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, oh man, I'm way behind on time. Or maybe you go, man, I've missed it. I, I wish I would have done some things differently. Here's where we would call the God factor. The God factor is asking God to do things that we can't do with the time that we have left. Um, I don't know about you, but as we've been reading through Exodus, I think about all the things that God multiplied. He multiplied plagues on Egypt to set his people free. Y'all remember that? Um, God can multiply those things. Um, he's done fishes and loaves before to provide food. You remember that? Um, he says that he could pr to produce a harvest that brought about um, uh, a plentiful bounty of 30, 60, or 100 times. What we and sometimes do, even in our regret or in our shame or in our guilt, is we just ask God, God, would you help us with the remaining time left to be strategic? 
God, would you help us to be faithful? Would you help us to point these children as true, true arrows, pointing them in a direction that pleases you? But faithful parents are very, very deliberate and intentional. Secondly, faithful parents demonstrate faithfulness. Think about that. If you're going to be a faithful parent, then you got to demonstrate what it is you're faithful to. Why? Because more is caught than taught. That is a principle that is true. If you want to shape your children's hearts and minds, then I encourage you to be faithful to the Lord. Faithful in lots of areas. I'm going to give you a handful of areas that are very practical in just a moment. But it reminds me of Paul writing to Timothy in um, second Timothy chapter one, that first chapter, he uh, introduces that, that second letter. He, he says to, to Timothy, his child of faith, he says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. He goes, I can't wait to embrace you, to hug you, to love you. He goes, and as I do so, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. Look at the generations. He goes, he goes, I remember your grandmother, Lois. I remember your mother. And I, I see what God's doing in you. That's the idea of demonstrating a faith. That, that when you look at a child, you ought to be able to look to a parent or a grandparent. And you ought to be able to see a very clear picture of generational faithfulness. And if you don't look back and see a picture of generational faithfulness, then ask the question, can I start generational faithfulness? And the answer is absolutely you can. But if you're going to do so, then it means you've got to demonstrate what faithfulness is. Friends, we live in a culture that doesn't demonstrate faithfulness. Uh, there's a, a lot of people that don't demonstrate faithfulness in the things that the Lord's called us to. Some of us is in our marriages. Um, some of us is with our businesses. A lot of us is with our word. We never are where we say we'll be when we'll be there. Our yes is not yes and our no is not no. We're not clear. We're always looking for another thing. We're not demonstrating faithfulness. A lot of us, we would say, hey, we're gonna be committed to the Lord and his local church. But the reality is, is we're not faithful because we're not there enough to be faithful. The average American goes to church 1.2 times in a month and that's called faithfulness now. But the reality is that's not faithfulness. Faithfulness is devoting yourself to become fully devoted to Christ and conform to his purposes. The reality is we have some work to do in that, right? But if we're going to teach our children faithfulness, we got to show and model faithfulness, not just talk about faithfulness. And so here's a handful of ways. One is demonstrate God's precepts to your children. Uh, teach them about his laws. Uh, teach them about his word, his decrees, his commands. Uh, a famous text in, uh, in Deuteronomy that all the people of Israel would know is they recited and even many cases memorized the Torah. They would recite this, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Y'all ever heard that? Jesus quoted it. Yep, from Deuteronomy 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Write them there, is what he's saying. He goes, you shall teach them, diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit, when you rise, when you walk along the way. And when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as the frontlets on the frontlets between your eyes. The idea is he goes, you ought to love God's word and you ought to teach your children the word of God. The challenge is, is that many of us can't teach our children faithfulness in the word of God because we don't know the word of God. But the challenge also is, is Paul, a handful of chapters later after he says, hey, uh, Timothy, I've seen the, the love that you're, and the faithfulness of your grandmother and your mother. He says a couple of chapters over these words. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete every, uh, and equipped for every good work. The question that you have to ask yourself is, do I believe that the word of God is what equips men? Is the word of God what equips people for every good work? Is that what's going to equip your child to be successful? Is that what's going to equip your son or your daughter to honor the Lord in faithfulness? Is it God's word or is it a set of values that you come up with along the way? And the reality is, is it's God's precepts. God's precepts is something that we teach our children in a culture right now of relativism, which means you make up truth as you go. We need to teach them what truth is. We have a culture right now that struggles to define sexuality, that struggles to define marriage. And the reality is, as the scriptures have clearly told us and pointed us as an arrow straight, strong, and true what these things are. And we have to teach our children what they are or they will teach themselves or for that matter, somebody will teach them very quickly. Let me just say it this way. There is a race for your child's heart and whoever gets there first will win. And oftentimes we are behind the gun. We are lazy, we're slothful, we have a hands-on approach or a hands-off approach and we are not intentional enough. And so may the Lord help us as we teach God or teach our children God's word, his precepts, but also his provision. Teach, teach your children the provision of God. I'm reminded in Exodus chapter three, Moses uh, is called to God and God tells the people after Moses doubts, like, well, what do I tell them? Who would I tell them that you are? Is he speaking on account of Israel? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He goes, I am who I am. What's so incredible about that is that Jesus helps us understand who the I am is, that he's multifaceted, that he can't be contained, but that he has a great provision for us. And so Jesus actually says seven I am statements in the gospel of John about himself. And this is what he says. He goes, I'm the bread of life in John chapter 6. 35, 41, 48, and 51. Um, in those verses, he goes, I am the bread of life, which means he is the word of God. We teach our children the word of God. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John 8, he is our guide. He is the one who helps direct and make path, our, uh, path straight. Jesus says this about himself. I am the door in John chapter 10, uh, verse 7. And also in John chapter 9, that means that Jesus is the way. He's the one who gives us direction. He is the good shepherd in John chapter 10. That means he's our protector. He's our provision. He is the one who keeps us and guards us from the enemy. He is the resurrection of life is what he told Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus upon his death. He goes, I'm your salvation. You need to not worry when somebody dies. Why? Because in me is life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 14, that one I think is crystal clear, right? And then in John uh, chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine, which means he is our strength. He is our connection. So over the last year, we've talked a whole lot about abiding in God's word. We've talked a whole lot about being connected to the vine in John chapter 15. And the reason why we're talking about this is because we really do believe that without the connection to Jesus every day through his word, then we're not going to, to, to do anything of good on our own. That in our own merit and our own self-reliance and our own self-sufficiency, we are not going to bear fruitfulness. And I love the fact that a lot of people will go, okay, but do I really need to be in God's word every single day? Like, can I not like listen to something as I go to work? And let me just explain it this way. If you have a relationship with someone that you love, 
do you, do you hope that when you go on a date that the entire two hours are revolved around you talking? Because here's the deal, when we settle for, well, I pray a whole lot, that means that you talk to God a whole lot. But the question is, is if you were to stand before him, would he say, well, when are you going to listen to me? When are you going to learn about me? When are you going to learn about who I am and about what I've done? When are you going to understand my provision? And that, my friends, is the key. It is a, a relationship that both uh, we are hearers and listeners, and we also talk and we have incense of prayers rising before him. It is both and. It is reading God's word, applying God's word through our daily provision of prayer and his word together. Make sense? It's a two-way street. You, you need to know that your God knows you just fine. But many of you don't know him very well. And in faithfulness, if we're gonna teach his precepts and the provision of God, then you need to know him. Listen, can I just tell you that I can struggle oftentimes thinking about all the things my kids need. I think about their clothing. I think about their education. I think about um, how we could uh, make them better athletes, maybe uh, hit the ball a little better, kick the soccer ball a little harder. I can think about all those different things. Can I just tell you that, that they don't need better grades. They don't need better clothes. They don't need ATVs or things to keep them entertained. They need Jesus Christ. That's what they need. And the reason why is because he is their sufficiency. He is faithful and you need to teach them about his faithfulness. Why? Because he is called redeemer and forgiver. He is our protector. He is our shelter in storms. He has sealed us, sustained us, and will not leave us. And our kids need to know that. One of the cool things I shared earlier is um, just in our 10-year anniversary, Kelly and I received a gift from a couple. And it was a generous gift at our 10-year anniversary that just said, hey, thank you for all that you've done in the last decade. And the deal is, is that the gift was not what really in some ways won my heart. What, what did is as Kelly and I talked, over 10 years, this, this family has been faithful to us. In the first two years when we made $33,000 and Kelly stayed at home with two new kids and the third one on the way, I can remember cards coming in the mail that just said, thank you, we love you. And it was $100 to Walmart. I can remember days where uh, formula would show up by quantities of 25 or more. And it was just God's provision. And that's the things that we have to tell our kids about. Like we have to talk about faithfulness in our lives. Don't just point them to faithfulness in Israel, but what about faithfulness in your life? Look at all the ways that God has showed up over the years. And I, as I received that gift, I could think of no less than a dozen times where a provision of the Lord had occurred in the last decade through the hands of this couple. And it brought to mind other couples, people who had provided us a, a, a dryer at one point when ours went out, a new washer at one point, and just the provision of the Lord as we trusted him, even if we had little. That's what we're talking about. We also talk about God's purposes. What is God's purpose for your life for your children? It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Colossians 3 gives us the idea of what it looks like to put on Christ. That means that if we're going to put on Christ, then we need to help our children know what that looks like. Show them faithfulness through the way you live out godly purpose in your own lives. The reality is, is oftentimes I'm confused at 
people who would call themselves followers of Jesus. I'm confused at their parenting styles oftentimes. And here's why, because we want in some ways for our children to grow up in the heritage of the Lord, to be instructed in his word, but then we do very confusing things in their life. For instance, we want to talk to them about how they should pursue Christ and guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then at Halloween, we want to take them to the craziest and scariest haunted house we can because we want to give them a world. And we think that's wise, and it's not. The reality is that you and I are, have a framework of what it looks like to live on purpose for the kingdom of God and to teach them that purpose, which is to be set apart for the kingdom. It is to literally to be a spiritual act of worship. I, I think about the movies that we let our kids see. I oftentimes talk to kiddos, whether it be here or at a ball game or whatever, and they'll tell me about the latest movie. And I'm like, I wouldn't watch that. It wouldn't be wise for me to do it. Why would the world do we want a five or a seven or a nine-year-old watching it, let alone a 15-year-old watching it? The reality is we have to guard hearts and minds. Philippians 4, 8 is the best guide. Print it out, put it on your refrigerator door. If, if it doesn't meet these criteria, our family doesn't do it. And listen, I'm telling you all the way across the board, you can take any category of fun you want, any entertainment value. If it doesn't fit this criteria, we don't do it. Why? Because I would be leading my children to sin in doing something that was entertaining of or some, some, some such value to them. That doesn't mean we lead boring lives, if that's what you think. Now, our kids think that. <laughs> but listen, I would rather them think that we lead boring lives and be faithful to the Lord than to have lots of fun and for them to not be faithful to the purposes of God. Philippians 4, 8 just says this, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, do this. this. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What have we learned and received and heard and seen? I mean, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We oftentimes wonder why our kids are anxious and why they're scared and when they have no peace. Listen, as a kid who watched Pet Cemetery when I was five years old, it shapes you. And it wasn't wise. And I can think of no 80s movie that was entertaining to me that would be wise for my children to watch at this present point in their life. And I love some of the 80s movies. But the reality is we have to think through that. What's entertaining and fun for us is not wise for us or our children many times. Live according to his purposes. And don't forget God's promises. God's promises hey, that he'll strengthen and establish you. First Peter 5 is a great picture of that, that you can cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, that he'll restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The storms will come, right? It's not a matter of if, but when. And when they do, the question is, is how will you respond? Well, kids that are faithful and parents that are faithful because they know God's promises, they they, in many ways, reply with this way in verse 10 of 1 Peter 5 says, And you have suffered a little while. The God of grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And that's what we want our kids to know, right? And then there's this last one. Y'all with me? Hang with me. Faithful parents also discipline their children. Um, Proverbs or uh, Ephesians 6 tells us to uh, 
be faithful in instructing our children, to grow them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to not provoke our children to anger is what it says. But then in Hebrews 12, listen to what it says in verse four. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wearying when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In essence, here's what it says. There is a means of how you and I would discipline. The means of discipline really is the idea that we wouldn't be weary when we're reproved or giving reproof. Uh, Proverbs 3.11 just says, do not uh, grow weary in the Lord's discipline or be weary of reproof. And when you think about the Lord's discipline and reproof, it really comes down to two things. There are actions that, that bring about discipline and then there's reproof or word that we would say admonishment. There is correction with our mouths. And so it involves both action and words. Sometimes you can discipline your children with just words. Sometimes it goes beyond words to actions. But the reality is discipline is both and, words and actions. It is discipline and reproof. The reality though is this, is that oftentimes in our parenting, we do it in the wrong motives. But verse six says, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So the motive is always love. So the means is that it can be verbal and it can also be a physical action, but the motive is always love. So if you beat your children to a pulp, I fail to see where that would be love. The reality is, is that's how many people were raised. You would go, you'd go out and you would get your own switch off the tree and you would bring it in and daddy would wear you out. And the reality is, is that, that your character was shaped in a lot of ways, but oftentimes the means didn't come across as love. Now, listen, I want you to realize there's lots of different means of action and words, but the reality is always should be produced with the motive of love for the purpose of enduring. Verse seven is discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom uh, his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated in that you are illegitimate children and not sons, which means if you've never been disciplined, it means that your father or mother were either hands off or they didn't exist. But in order for you to have parents that are intentional and that are faithful, then there is discipline. And the purpose is always to deter destruction. It's always the purpose of discipline in our house is to make sure our kids know there's a bridge that's out and they're heading in a direction that's going to be painful and it's going to cost them a lot. And it's my job to help them see and deter them from their action. Sometimes that is a means of physical instruction and sometimes it's a mean of verbal. I would say that they, as they increase in years, it comes far more verbal. But the reality is, is that our goal is to teach obedience. Look at verse nine, it says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. The purpose of my discipline is to point people towards Christ, my children towards the Lord. For the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What that means is this, there is short-time pain and there is long-term gain. So when you discipline your children effectively, you need to understand parents that you're gonna hear words like, I hate you. You're gonna hear words like, hey, I wish I had another family. You're gonna hear words like, hey, you're the worst dad in the world. I wish I had another dad. You're gonna hear words like, hey, you're, you're stink and I just wanna go to my friend's house. You're gonna hear those words, but you 
because you know God's precepts and you understand God's purpose and you have seen faithfulness and God uh, through your life, you know that you're not that bad of a dad. And you know that you're really not that bad of a mom. And so you're grounded in truth. And it doesn't matter what they say. They're shooting things at you and you just got a shield. And the shield is the, the, the shield of faith. And by faith in Christ, you just hold it up and you take it for a time. You keep a poise and a demeanor. And then at some point you circle back around and you all seek forgiveness and you restore things to rightness and you honor the Lord in all of it. But listen, here's what you need to know. Hearing those words or seeing a sobby face or a sad face is really difficult and it's painful. But what you need to realize is this, is a frown or sadness or painful words will not last forever, but their destruction will. And we have a choice. We're either gonna be faithful and we're gonna be fruitful or we're gonna be hands off. The first one to get to your child's heart wins. Pursue them, love them. Be faithful to them. Faithful in lots of different ways, but primarily faithful in your deliberate approach. Faithful to demonstrate faithfulness to them and faithful in discipline that the Lord might bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and your family. Let me pray for us as we close our time together. Father in heaven, I thank you for our time together. Lord, there's many of us that when we think about parenting, we would say, man, I stink. And Lord, you know that I stink at parenting. And so Lord, I confess that in front of our entire church body. I, I know that I could be much more deliberate and intentional in pursuing our kids. I know there are ways that we can impact them and shape them more than what we do. Lord, you have seen times where I've blown a gasket and had to seek forgiveness. Lord, you have seen me not being uh, purposeful. We have uh, oftentimes missed the mark in the Bactil house. And Lord, I thank you for your grace and your provision, even when we miss it. But Lord, I pray that that, that would still mean that day in and day out, we get up and we faithfully pursue you. And I pray that even though I don't have enough Bible studies with my kids, I pray they always see me studying your word. I pray that they would see that there's an intentionality as, as I'm shaped by you. And I pray that they would desire that. Lord, today in this moment, I pray for my children's salvation. Father, I pray that your spirit would call them, that even now that you're illuminating their hearts, their minds, that you're making yourself known to them. And I don't just pray for my children. I pray for the dozens of children that call this church home. I pray for these families that were represented this morning on both campuses. I pray for their children, that Lord, that you would draw them, that you would make their straight paths, that you would give them light and a lamp. Father, I pray that, God, that if we want to know how do we keep a, a young man pure, Psalm 119 just encourages us to live according to the word. God, I pray we would teach our children that. I pray that you would, God, guard us, protect us. Lord, help us in a world of confusion to give them truth. In a world of lies, I pray that, God, that we would center them and anchor them on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Father, would you move our hearts would you convict us of where we've missed it? And Lord, would you help us to aim towards a target? If we aim at nothing, we're sure to hit nothing. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us. We love you. 
We praise you. You are faithful. You are wonderful. You are righteous. You are our strong tower, our rock, our refuge. You are worthy of song. You're the one who gives and takes away. You are um, our great I am. You are the door. You are the light. You are the bread. You are the good shepherd. Father, you, God, are worthy. And so as we stand, as we close, as we sing, as we celebrate moms, and we celebrate the faithfulness of our great God, I pray we would do it with a song from our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.